Well, good morning. I'm Aaron Cole, the senior pastor. It's great to see you today. Will you just look at your neighbor and just say, you look good today? Just, just. Mm. You guys are one of those like slow moving crowds. I can tell it kind of gets louder as you get a little longer and that's good. Yeah, you look good. You look, oh, you look good. You look good. You look good. I think it's important to just let people know they look good because they got up and got here today. And, and I know it's end of March. We had the snow yesterday. Yes. It's gone. It's, it's going to be gone. I, I, uh, we, I, I was like, you know, I'll just do the drive. Oh, my goodness. I kept thinking to myself, I am 51. I am 51. I cannot do this. If I die right here, I'm 51. I made it through. Just to let you all know, my, your prayers availed much and just giving you a hard time. Anybody else do the drive yesterday? So who, who just like, just like, I'm just leaving it alone. I'm not even messing with it. Yeah, you're the smart ones in the room, right? You've been around for a while. But uh, anyhow, it's, uh, again, I love this time of the year. In two weeks, we have Easter. Next week is Palm Sunday. And uh, then it's just boom, 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 and we're moving right along. And so, again, like Kevin just said on the video, if uh, invite people because, uh, because it, most people don't know what weekend Easter is because it moves every year. It, the, the date moves every year. It's not like Christmas Eve. Everybody knows that's the 24th. And so... It's the same date of the year. Easter is a different date every year. And so with, uh, with spring break travel and with all that that goes on, people are in, they're out, they're here, they're there, all that kind of stuff. I encourage you grab one of those little uh, invite cards that are on your seat and invite someone. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me today to Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. Mark, chapter 2. And uh, we're in a two-week series uh, that I'll be here this week, next week, Easter. I'm, I, don't, I don't know when I'm gone next. I'm, I'm just here, 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 here. And so I hope that you'll join with me for this. And uh, we're just entitling this two-week series, You Can Sit With Me. And we have a philosophy at Life Church, uh, kind of a, uh, what we call invest and invite. And that is that we invest in people relationally, no strings attached, because that's just what we should do. Relationships trump everything else. And then at, a, at an opportune time, we invite people to come to something, especially if they're far away from the Lord, we invite them to come to experience life change in Jesus. And that could be a Bible study, that could be an event, that could be a weekend service, that could be Easter, that could be just whatever. That may be having some friends from, from church or from your life group over and getting together, but we invite them into that, uh, that experience, into a place where they can experience life change through Jesus. That, that's why we exist. And the next couple of weeks, what I want to do is I just want to remind us and come back to this, this, this idea of the empty seat. We should preach a lot about this and talk a lot about this, but as, uh, as uh, in the last several years, with, there's been a lot that has shifted, and a lot that has changed in the world in which we live in. And I just want to go back to that empty seat because every empty seat, in my opinion, represents someone who could be here, who should be here, who's outside the doors of our church. And, um, and not just saying that we're the only church in town. There's a lot of great churches in Metro Milwaukee and throughout Wisconsin. But, and there's a lot of great pastors and Bible-believing and Bible-preaching churches. But I, what I do know is that Life Church is one of those. And I know that there are fewer people that are attending church today than did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. The average attender attends less often today than they did 10 years ago or 20 years ago. So that means there's more empty seats 
And every seat represents a story. Every seat represents a life change. Every seat represents someone who was lost and who was away from Jesus. And, and God brought them in because we know unless we're drawn out by the Holy Spirit, nothing, no one comes to Christ unless they're drawn out by the Holy Spirit. But that power that God chooses to use you and to use me. Jesus said that the entire Bible is, is, is completely uh, encapsulated in what, the, what we're called the, the great commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. So love God, love your neighbor. We get the love God part, and we kind of focus on that, but how many times do we forget the love your neighbor part? Because our neighbor's done something to hack us off, or because our neighbor, because who is your neighbor? You know, the, the, the religious leaders of the day asked Jesus, who is your neighbor? And Jesus then goes into the, to the parable of the Good Samaritan, and basically, your neighbor is anybody, your fellow journer, your fellow traveler, your fellow, the person that's sitting next to you on the plane that you don't know, the person that's driving along with you on the freeway, the person that lives next door to you uh, in the apartment next door or the house across the street. Your, your, your neighbor is the person that's working next to you on the factory line. Your neighbor is the, is, the, is the mom or the dad that's dropping their kids off in front of you at the line at the, at the local elementary school. Your neighbor is the kid sitting next to you and, and you're out algebra one class. Your neighbor is whoever that's around you. That's your neighbor. And Jesus said that if we're going to fulfill the law, we're going to fulfill the gospel, we're going to fulfill the Bible, we just do two simple things. Way easier preached than lived, amen? <laughs> to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's not an either or. It's not an optional part. It's part of the equation. And what's interesting about that is that you and I love ourselves very easily, and nobody has to say amen on that. It's just totally quiet. Nobody wants to go, amen, I love myself. I'm just telling you, I love me some Aaron Cole. Like, I love me. You don't love yourself? You do. You love yourself. And Jesus says that we're to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Because there's this natural inclination that you're going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of me. I'm going to make sure that I'm okay. I'm going to make sure that my kids are okay, that my family's okay, that my four and no more, we're okay. But you... I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you, right? Because he can eat you and I'll live to die another day. That's the idea behind that. That's the world in which we live in. That's human nature. And Jesus said, no, no, no. I want you to love your neighbor and care for your neighbor and think about your neighbor and prefer your neighbor and defer your neighbor the same way you do yourself. What, what, what happens out of that? Friendship. Friendship. That's really what I want to talk. That's just... I'm going to break this into two parts, this whole idea of you can sit with me, the empty chair, the great commandment to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We'll talk about friendship for a few minutes. Mark's gospel, chapter 12, shows us four friends that, quite frankly, were willing to do whatever. And I think I just said Mark, chapter 12. It's Mark, chapter 2. I'm sorry, because I heard pages turn like he didn't say that before. He missed that. Mark, chapter 2. In the world in which we live in, we are more connected, but we are more disconnected. We have more friends on social media, but we have fewer actual friends that are there to hear us when something's wrong. We have more, and I'm not here to talk about the ills of social media or TikTok. This is cracking me up about TikTok. I, I, I just, I'm sorry, if, you're, if you've got really strong opinions about it, that's great. I just think it's hilarious, but anyhow... 
Just the whole thing, the whole world that we're living in is kind of cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs to me sometimes. It feels a lot more like Buck Rogers in the 25th century, right? I'm just waiting for Twiggy to come up and da 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 and then the, the robot. If you don't know what that is, just Google it, um, whatever, but be careful. So anyhow, um, it's just we have, we have more access to more information, to more data, to more stuff, to more people, to more people know us. It's funny, people say something to me, they'll call me, a buddy will call me and say, hey man, uh, your Facebook friends with so-and-so, I want to know about them. And I just laugh and just go, bro, do you, I'm Facebook friends with like thousands of people. Like, I don't know these people. They're pastoring over here and they want to be friends. And so I go, okay. And unless they send me a request for money or something harassing, I keep them on as friends. It's just, okay. Well, and my, my mom, and she's probably watching, my mom will say, did you see I post this on Facebook? Mom, I don't look at Facebook. I don't look at much social media. I just don't. I, well, why, I said, if it wasn't for trying to pastor and be the pastor at Life Church and try to be out there, I mean, I, I wouldn't even do social media. Like, I just, it, it's hilarious to me what people post. And, and the staff is saying, you should, we need you to have, show pictures of friends and when you're out and about. And I'm horrible at taking pictures. Like, I just don't. I don't like taking, I just, I don't, it's just me. And I, but you're, I'm just saying you're more connected with more people that you don't know. And more people that you think, you know, that you, people think that you know that you don't know. And it's like, no. And, and it's, just, it's just a funky world that we live in. But deep, true friendship, friendship that is there today. And, it, and is, it's that loving your neighbors, you love yourself. It's that deep commitment. It's, it's not there as much. And Mark's gospel gives us an insight of what true friendship, what true uh, you can sit with me, love your neighbors, you love yourself. I care about you and I care about where you spend eternity and I care about the quality of your life and I care about you as much, if not more than I do myself. We have this right out in the gospels of Mark chapter two. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna just walk through this. I'm gonna give you a couple of, of, of statements about uh, this, this, about true friends. And the first statement I'm gonna give you is that true friends will carry the mat. That'll make sense in just a minute. True friends carry the mat. Mark's gospel, chapter 2, verse 1. And when he, speaking of Jesus, returned to Capernaum, uh, after some days it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic man carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and then they made an opening, and they, laid, they let the bed down on which the paralytic lay. Now, if you go with me to Israel this next fall, uh, November the 2nd through the 12th or the 11th, yeah, the, the 12th, if you go with me, we'll go to Capernaum. We'll, we'll go to this town. Most theologians believe this is where Jesus lived. Um, you know, in order to fulfill prophecies of the Old Testament, so forth and so on, Jesus was, you know, was Jesus of Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. But where he resided and where we find most of the time he is living is in this seaside village of Capernaum. It's also interesting that many theologians believe that when it was, um, in verse 1, it says that he returned to Capernaum. It was reported that he was at home. This would have been the house that Jesus would have lived in. I know Jesus says, you know, that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He's speaking of he has nothing that tethers him to this world. But a 30-year-old man in the first century was not living in his parents' basement. 
This is not the 21st century of America. I'm sorry, it just doesn't exist. He's living on his own. He's, ha- he's, he's carpenter by trade. We know very little about his life from 13 to 30 uh, after he's in the temple. We, what we do know is that there would be a natural progression of things. We do know that his father would have pr- passed away. We know that Mary is still living, and we know that he has brothers and sisters. But what we, what we, what we do know that conclusively it would have been very dedu- it's somewhat deductive reasoning. This, this, is, this is the case, that he would have been on his own. He would have been a carpenter. And a carpenter was way more of a mason than they were of a wood carpenter. And if you go, you'll see most of these structures are stone structures. So when you hear this story, when I used to hear this story, I would think, oh, they have like these little thatched roofs, right? Because I would see that like at a, at a Christmas Easter cantata or play or whatever, and they have these little thatched roofs, and that'd be easy just to unthatch the roof and just lower someone down. No, this would be, think more of, of mud and straw and clay and what you would find more in a Mediterranean type of an area where there is some real construction that has to be deconstructed in order to create an actual hole. And if this is indeed Jesus' home, and this is, he's been, he's been traveling, so you can imagine what life is like after you're coming back off of a trip and he's there. And, he, and then word gets around that he's back. And when he's at home, then they just keep coming and they come. And so he just, he lets them in and there's so much room that there's no room for them to be in the house. So now they're outside and the doors are open. And then now someone, he has, he's preaching and begins to Break open the roof. Could you imagine right now as I'm speaking to you, someone starts deconstructing the roof in order to get someone into the building. It would create a certain amount of distraction to say the least, right? This is what's happening. And I always think this, and this is one of the questions that I have for Jesus when I get to heaven. So if you were living in Capernaum and this was your home and this was constructed the way that we see structure, what we would know that historically would have been, what's going on in your mind as you're preaching going, as a carpenter by trade, I've got to repair that roof. And how much is that going to take me and cost me? And that's just, that's just my thing. So anyhow, but we see this is happening in this whole construct, in this whole setting. And you've got these four guys who we don't know their names. But they're carrying, in essence, the four corners of the mat of this paralytic of this man who can't walk. And we really don't know a whole lot about him. And we don't know his name. But without these four friends... He doesn't get to Jesus. Spoiler alert, he'll be healed in the end. Without these four friends carrying his mat, not only does he not get to Jesus, he doesn't get healed. Without these four friends, there's no one lifting him up to the roof. Without these four friends, there's no one deconstructing the roof to lower him down. Without these four friends, he's not there. And every one of us have a mat. Like this paralytic man, that that, that mat, it, it's things that we're trying to hide. It's things that we're trying to, to avoid. It, it's hurts. Some of you, your, your mat is your hurt. It's betrayal. It's loss. It's divorce. It's insecurity. For some of you, your mats, the things that you're trying to hide, the things you're trying to avoid, it's, it's habits like addictions, eating disorders, lying, spending problems. For some of you, your mat is, is hang-ups. It's anxiety. It's bitterness. It's resentment. It's, it's distrust. And, and I just want to stop here just for a minute and just go, that, that mat represents a lot of things, but it's very different for every person. And it may just be that your miracle might be on the other side of your vulnerability. See, in order for this paralytic man to be healed, he has to be willing to 
move the mat, to have the mat carried for someone else to see the problem, for someone else to be there. He has to be vulnerable enough to let himself be carried to this place, vulnerable enough to, to even if he doesn't believe, his friends believe, uh, in order, order for him to be taken to the roof and lowered down. Could you imagine in a room full of people and all of a sudden everybody's looking at you? It's probably not the thing he really wanted. Again, true friends carry the mat. Who... I just would stop for a minute and just go, what, what is your mat? We all have one. And who's carrying your mat? Who are the individuals that pray for you? Who are the individuals that stand with you when things are going down? Who are the individuals that stand with you and pray with you and, 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 and get together and open God's word? Who are the people that you call? Who is that? Do you have that? Woe to the man who falls, the Bible says, and no one hears him when he falls. I have that in my life because there are days that there are things that are going on that I can't tell you. I, I, I can't come and, and, and preach my problems. That's not why you came. You got problems of your own. Henry Nouwen, the, the noted theologian, says everyone wants a wounded healer, but no one wants a bleeding healer. And the last thing anybody wants is to go to church and see a pastor bleed all over the place and just tell you all of his problems or all of her problems or all the issues or all the hurts or all the pains. There are times that I'm just like you and I'm coming to church just like you and I've got issues and I've got problems and I've got hurts and I've got my own mat that I have to just wrap up and bring with me because I gotta do what God's called me to do and I've gotta be faithful to his word and allow the Holy Spirit to work through me because it's not me anyhow to minister to you. But at the end of that, I'm still walking out hurt. I'm still walking out wounded. But who do I go to? I have friends. I've got brothers that I can call, that I can be on the phone with that, would, that will fly to meet me or that that will drive across town to meet me are guys that will sit with me and say, here, we're praying with you. Tammy is the same way. There are people in our lives that will carry the mat. Who's carrying the mat for you? See, this is what we're called to do. Who are you carrying the mat for? Who are you standing in the gap for? Who, who are you on their, their call list that in the middle of the night, if something's going on, they'll be there for you? See, this is how we're created. This is what we're created to do. This is what it's all about. This is why life groups are so important. Because you may be new to life church. You may be new to your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to be at a place and be around some people that you can find. And listen, you go, but yeah, but what if they're funky? If you go to a group and they're funky, just go to another group. And if they ask you, why did you leave? Just say, because you're funky. <laughs> and I talked to pastor and he said, I could leave your group. He agrees with me. Don't say that last part, but it may help. Second statement, true friends are catalysts of life change. True friends, friends that will carry the mat, are the catalysts that God will use for life change in your life. Your friends will determine the quality and the direction of your life, it's been said. Go back to chapter 2, verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, your sons, your sins are forgiven. Did you notice this? If you write, underline, circle in your Bible, circle the word, underline, highlight the word there. When Jesus saw their faith, it wasn't the faith of the paralytic that healed the paralytic. It was the faith of the four friends. Someone else's miracle might be on the other side of your faith. Because there are times when you're on that mat that you don't have enough faith. 
And you need someone else to stand in the gap with you and for you and on your behalf. And go, no, we're going to see this through. No, we're not going to give up. No, we're in this together. There's no more singular personal pronouns. It's all plural personal pronouns. We're in this together. We're, you're not alone. We're going to do this together. I think that's important to realize because it will be your actions that other people's sins will be forgiven. It'll be your actions that will allow them to get to Jesus that other people's lives will be changed. This is why this is so important. This is why that empty seat that you see in this room is so important. This is why we're talking about this. This is why we're, we're encouraging you even on Easter weekend to invite someone and to bring someone with you. Does it cramp your style? Maybe. Does it inconvenience you? Yes. Is it, does it mean you may have to get kind of dirty and messy in people's lives? Absolutely. Just like these four friends did with this paralytic, it, 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 it cost them something. It was inconvenient for them. It wasn't their problem, so to speak, but they did what they had to do in order to bring that person to Jesus. And that's what we're called to do. Life Church, we exist to see people far away from Jesus experience life change through Jesus. How many people have seen life change through Jesus at Life Church because of your invitation? If you don't know who that is, it's way too long. If you don't know who that is, your relationship with Christ has become crusty. If you can't name or think of a person that you that was, that was lost without Jesus that you've invited, maybe they didn't get saved, you invited, maybe they didn't come, that you offered to carry the mat, maybe they didn't take you up on the invitation, but if you don't have any names, you're just riding the bench for yourself. And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to pick up the mat of other people's issues, problems, and junk and love them as we love ourselves and get them to Jesus. And many times them getting to Jesus will not be their faith that gets them there. It'll be your faith that'll get them to the Father. Amen. And when they get there in his presence, then he does the work he needs to do. Because you're not God. I'm not God. You're not judge. I'm not judge. You're not the jury. I'm not the jury. That's the reason why we say anybody's welcome at Life Church. People go, well, if I'm this kind of a sinner, can I come to Life Church? Oh, yeah, we got all kinds of sinners at Life Church. We got a whole bunch of sinners at Life Church. We actually think that a healthy church should have people that are far away from Jesus. Because how are people going to hear unless someone preaches? And how is someone going to hear unless they're presented the good news? And how are they going to come to a saving grace of Jesus Christ unless they're drawn out by the Holy Spirit? And this is how God does this through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. True friends are a catalyst of life change. Third statement, that true friends will impact the community around them. True friends, true friendship will impact the community around them. Going down to verse 11 of Mark chapter 2. Then Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we have never we never saw anything like this. The miracle is not just for the four friends carrying the mat who are or lending their faith to someone to see Jesus, see, see Jesus heal someone. The miracle is that these four friends set the stage for Jesus to show up and show off to their community. When God does something in someone's life, especially someone who's really messed up and far away from him, people talk. And when someone who is far away from Jesus gets saved, most of their relationships are unsafe friends. 
And so they do what Matthew, Matthew who wrote the, the gospel of Matthew, when he's a tax collector, when he meets Jesus, he throws a party with all the sinners in town. It was so raucous and so, so known that the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, see Jesus at this party. And Jesus is not involved in anything that's, that's wrong or unlawful or, or sinful. But his mere presence, they said he's a friend of sinners. How can he do this? Because when you are far away from Jesus and you come to faith in Jesus Christ, most of your friends and your relationships are that way. So then you do what Philip does with his brother Peter. Peter, you need to come and meet this man. You need to come and meet the Messiah. You need to come and meet Jesus. Invest and invite. Peter doesn't preach some, uh, Philip doesn't preach some great sermon. All Philip does, he's a connector. He's a social connector. He connects his brother Peter to Jesus. And Peter will go on to lead the New Testament church. Peter will go on to be part of the inner circle. Peter will go on to, to preach on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 3, people will be saved. Why? Because of his brother Philip. He said, you just got to come and see, man. You just got to come check this out. And this is what happens. When people who are lost and, and, and they're dead and they're sin, their transgressions, and they come and they find relationship with Jesus Christ because you've invested in them relationally and then you've invited them and they come, then they begin to tell their friends. That's what's happening here. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 12 and 13 and 14 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. For greater love has no man than this, and to lay down his life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I command you. Again, in your relationships, are you willing to move beyond the inconvenient in order to impact someone's life? Are you committed to that? The band's going to come, and they're gonna, we're going to do a song, and we're going to con conclude today. And I just want to close this way I truly do believe that church is not about the found it's about the lost and I've had people over 20 some odd years of pastoring here have challenged me on that I've sat in classes and lectures where there's been theologians that said I don't know that I agree with that blah 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 I've had countless conversations in the lobby or the hub at any one of our campuses and someone said hey you said and I don't really know if I agree with that. I've had people nod their head and say, yeah, they agree with that, but they don't ever bring anybody. They don't ever take an invite card and invite somebody else. It's just kind of them or their family or whatever. But over all of these years, what I have seen out of you as a congregation, as a whole, we, we embody this and we live this. That we don't exist for ourselves. That we're to carry the mat for somebody else. That we're to lend our faith for people that may be faithless. And what I have seen is a church that year over year has flourished and grown. Financially, I've never stood before you and go, we can't pay our bills. Financially, I've never had to lay a staff member off or cut staff back 
or freeze pays. I've never had to walk in and go, we've got to cut this ministry. We just don't have the money to resource this. When they said we can't get the food that we need for the food pantry, we went to pick and save and bought it off the shelves because we were not going to be empty and bare for people that needed it. And God blessed and he provided. Every year we raise the level of what we try to do for missions because the truth of the matter is is that that's one of the greatest ways we can be selfless because what we do, what you did last weekend, your incredible generosity, it shows up because it doesn't come back to us directly. It shows up in our kids, i.e. little Ellie. I don't know how many hundreds of dollars she raised last Sunday from that video alone. raised two daughters in a church where they've been raised to believe that church is not about them. It's about people far away from Jesus. Dad, can I, can I have so-and-so come stay the night on Saturday night? I know, I know they got to go to church on Sunday. I know that's the deal, but can I? Absolutely. To have Tammy tell them, hey, a basement full of, of, of teenage girls, you've got to be quiet. Your dad's got to get up and preach tomorrow. Yeah, 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 only to hear it all the way through the air ducts. <laughs> and those kids are half awake on the front row. But to see one of those girls' families come into the church and come into the church, come into the church, come into the church, because church doesn't exist for us. I've got two daughters who love Jesus. I've got a church that's growing and flourishing when every critic of the church says it's, this is its finest day is over. I've got a parking lot that says otherwise. Why? Because you refuse to let the paralytic who's faithless sit outside. You are committed to taking up the mat and investing and inviting that's what makes this church great. Not me. Great preaching would have changed this world to be changed by now. It's by the foolishness of preaching the Bible says that men and women come to repentance. It's not by great worship leaders. They come and they go. It's not by great programmings or buildings. It's by people who are willing to say, I don't have to survive. Raising families and kids. This is not about us. I was raised in a family that we believe that church didn't exist for us. I remember saying that one time, I don't like this and I don't want it. And my dad said, who, who, first of all, who, who asked you what you liked? And secondly, this is not about you. Do you read the Bible? just at the Appleton campus a couple weekends ago and I see Dave and Laura Coggins. Ryan, our executive pastor, his mom and dad. Dave's a banker. Laura works. They're now retired, works in medical serving. Door greeting, 
opening, closing, doing whatever. I asked Ryan, I said, man, you were raised that way, weren't you? He said, oh, yeah, every time the doors were open, we were there. Every time. It didn't matter. And if there was a job to be done, it was me and, and Lisa and my brother Jeff. We were the ones that would go do it. And my dad would do this, and we'd get there early and stay. This is what we did. It's all we know. Because church isn't about them. Are you willing to carry the mat for somebody? Who are you carrying the mat for today? What neighbor? And for the sake of eternity, are you willing to make church not about you? But are you willing to invest and to invite? Even this Easter. Like physically taking this card and just simply inviting someone to come with you. It's that simple. And if so, who? What name? Give me a name. Kind of like your parents when you say, well, so-and-so, who said that? What did they say? Who? Why do we push? Because this is the secret sauce. The kingdom of God, Jesus said very simply, <laughs> if I want to be first, then I've got to be last. If I want to be served, then I must serve. If I want to have friends, then I must first be friendly. It's me to initiate. It's the if-then proposition we see all throughout Scripture. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will show up. If we will love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and love our neighbors, we love ourselves. Then God will open up the windows of heaven. That's why I'm preaching this to you today. Because you need this for your life. You need this for your kids. You need this for your family. You need this for your church. This isn't my church. This is your church. This is his church. This is our church. How many people did you drive by today that you know they're not going to church anywhere? Did you invite them? Do they even know you're a Christ follower? How many people do you hear making plans throughout the course of the week? They're not Christians. We can have a gazillion excuses. It's not my business. I'm just the messenger. Will you be willing to carry the mat for those people? That's your neighbor. Kids at school. Yeah, but they're going to make fun. Will you be willing to carry the mat? willing to carry the mat you can sit next to me come Father I just thank you today I thank you for this amazing congregation I thank you for this church your church that you are building and I just pray today God that you would help us I think every one of us in this room are willing to carry the mat we just we get caught up with so many other things and it takes a moment like this for the Holy Spirit just to kind of, in that still small voice, just to speak to our hearts. So I pray in these next few moments, as the worship team just leads us in a chorus, let us remember what it's all about. It's all about you, Jesus. This earth will pass away. 
This world is not our home. We are merely passing through. Only what's done for you will last. Only two things that are eternal. Only two things that will be in this earth and will make it to eternity. People and your word. Everything else, structures, paradigms, programs, they'll all pass away. But your word and people. Lord, who is our neighbor? Who is the paralytic in our life that is faithless right now, that needs us to step in and just grab a corner of the mat and bring them to you, Lord? Speak to our hearts and help us to respond today in Jesus' name. Amen.